It's easy to feel unmoored in a fast-changing world with such choppy waves. With so much change, there's a natural tendency to want to drop the anchor in the nearest calm waters and remain there, hoping this approach will be the most secure. But the water's never really placid. There are extremely strong currents beneath the surface. Even the most gigantic anchor won't be able to keep the ship from moving. It'll slow down just a little and maybe even pull the vessel apart, no matter the quality of how it was built. So maybe it's better to move with the waves and changing tides instead of fighting against them. Joshua Scott, the head of IT and security for Postman, believes that accepting and planning for changes in technology is the best security strategy. The only constant we have is change. Let's plan for that. We know tech will change, but if we put in good patterns and good practices and really enable the teams to make better decisions, we're going to have much more success. Being a stubborn captain is simply untenable because it will not lead to success. Accepting change allows for moving along with the current. The captain charts a new course and engages the crew to work together toward that end. Suddenly, change goes from a destructive problem to an asset. Instead of tearing the hull apart, the energy moves the vessel forward in unity with the captain's plans. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Joshua explains his security philosophy and his work at Postman, a platform that helps developers build APIs. He shares the importance of creating a positive security culture for an entire company that simultaneously has clear leadership while also empowering employees nearest to where decisions are actually made. Enjoy this episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have the head of security and IT from Postman, Joshua Scott. Josh, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Awesome. Hey, right out the gate, we've read the news. We know that Postman is an exciting, fast growth company, raises Series D funding, massive numbers. But for those of our audience that are not familiar with Postman, could you please tell us what does Postman do? What does it make and what does it do? Postman is an API platform for doing uh, development. Right? Essentially, you know, we provide a suite of tools to allow developers to, you know, make it simple for them to actually develop APIs and collaborate with their peers and um, provide a bunch of other tool sets. You know, there's a platform component to it, uh, workspaces. Um, there's quite a bit to the platform itself. So, yeah, that's that's kind of it in a nutshell. <laughs> for those listening and maybe aren't familiar, aren't too familiar with Postman, the way I would say is you guys help other software companies turn their products into APIs. Is that accurate? We help, we enable them to actually create tests, debug, and do a bunch of other uh, functions with fourth or APIs. Perfect. So, and we all know that every software service that we have today is API. It does feel API first. We are in a time frame where every enterprise product or application has to be able to connect to someone else's product or application. Uh, that seems to be endless. And we have talked to many of our guests in the security space talk about like, where does the responsibility of cybersecurity begin and end? Because if I'm a company, like let's say, you know, our head sponsor is Salesforce and people are using the Salesforce product, that's our CRM. The reality is that data is being used with many other products, which Postman probably helps build, debug, test their APIs. Talk about the role of security in an API world, because this is not going to change. That we are for, I think the, we're never going back. Every product from here on forward is going to be able to connect with another product. I, that's what I believe. I mean, I think it's never, yeah. probably, I think you would agree. It's, it's never going back to where like, oh, I have an isolated siloed product. The data stays here. Nothing can talk to it. Right. 
I'd love to kind of hear your experience and what challenges you guys face, given the fact that this is the way, this is exactly the way we're going to work. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't see it changing uh, at all. Yep. I think, you know, APIs are eating the world. Software is eating the world. Every application needs to be able to communicate to another application. You need to be able to integrate it into, you know, basically the, the fabric of your business, right? So that's, you know, you want Salesforce to talk to your other tool set so you can enable them to do whatever it needs to do, right? And you want to enable, like from a security standpoint, I want all of my tool sets to be able to talk to my other tool sets so that essentially I can, my team can create the glue between all of these different tool sets to enable them to do more, right? No product is, you know, ever a hundred percent, you know, fulfills every need. So you're going to need a bunch of different tool sets to actually kind of pull things together. And that's where the APIs come into play. You know, where does security end with that? I think it's uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, basically security is involved at, you know, pretty much every level. And it's, it's an interesting uh, item because, you know, many years ago, uh, security wasn't involved in those types of things. And really APIs were, you know, were an afterthought. So it's, it's just, uh, things are changing quite a bit. So Give us an idea of what your like what your principal concern is, because this is something that I think is really interesting. What Postman does, you know, it's helping other companies work big debug tests. You mentioned like for their APIs, security is is part of all of their lives. Like no company's coming to you like, hey, <laughs> I don't worry, I don't need to worry about security, right? Everyone's got to worry about it. What does this mean? I guess we'd love for you to explain maybe more technically, like what it is you're helping these companies do on a security level to make sure their APIs are secured so that their, I guess, role in the chain of information is secured. And of course, they no one wants to be hacked, but like they also have to prove that they have, uh, you know, that they are responsible, keeping up with records, whatever the case may be. I'd love to kind of understand how involved you are in this process. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're doing quite a bit of work around, you know, how do we secure an API and kind of the flow of that? So things like you know, discovering, right? Discoverability. Uh, you should, you can't secure what you don't know about. So if you don't actually have a catalog of the different types of APIs you have, how do you know what kind of controls to put on it and what needs to be protected? And then, you know, as an API is actually written, you know, as the scheme was defined, as the different types of, uh, you know, components are, are actually defined, you know, are they actually meeting specifications? Do they, you know, introduce some type of uh, vulnerability that could be a potential problem? So we've got things that look for, you know, low hanging fruit from a, a static static scanning standpoint, essentially. You know, there's other things that, uh, you know, we're looking to do. I think we, we actually do some integration with various uh, other organizations to provide kind of dynamic scanning. So that's another part of the big workflow is, you know, once you have something running from an API standpoint, you also want to test it and make sure that uh, when it's actually running, that it's not introducing vulnerabilities or exposing data that it shouldn't. One of the biggest concerns I've had, you know, for many years, and this goes back to my previous uh, time when I was uh, at my last company, is API development was always something that was actually forgotten about. It was actually something done on the back end to enable some type of front end engineering work or some type of back end, yeah. you know, something else, right? API wasn't really thought of as a product. Whereas nowadays you see a lot more of, you know, API as a product, right? API is kind of the main, you know, the, the main deliverable that, you know, the company's doing. From a security standpoint, you know, since it hasn't been something that's, you know, in the forefront, they've always been forgotten about. Mm. So, you know, one organization I was at, we had this huge monolithic API that had so much, a lot of dangerous calls being made. It flew under the radar. It didn't have enough scanning. I mean, we did a lot of work to actually secure the front end and the middle tiers, but the API was something that really was ignored for a long, long time. And then, uh, you know, come to find out that the API was actually accessible to the internet, to the, to the public. You know, it was uh, down a few layers and 
you know, we find out that actually you can create users, you can delete users, you can do you know, quite a few different things. And then we found that the keys were actually being leaked in various places. So it's just one of those things that, you know, there wasn't enough attention to these types of items before. And now we're seeing a little bit more attention on that. You know, Josh, you brought up a great point about how when I was in software, I do recall API, you mentioned before, it was like an afterthought, right? You built your core product. Of course, some people wanted some of the information that your product produced. So it's like, okay, I'll make an API and you can get it if you want. It was the principal goal for most software companies in the past to have like users, users in seat in their interface using their product. It's always kind of been like that, I feel like, but we are entering places where software, you know, it's, it's not clear where people work anymore. It's like they're working in these, <laughs> you know, Salesforce are, you know, it is our sponsor, but it is a great example. Like that role principally works inside Salesforce. Other products, platforms, they have people, marketing tools, have people working principally in their products, which has to make all these API calls out. And there's also another rise of companies that are API first. We've had a couple on our show that are like, basically there is no interface to their business. Like it is an API. Like, I mean, I'd argue that Twilio is kind of like an that kind of tool, right? It's, it's an API product. Yeah. Are you seeing more of these products come up, uh, API first products where more of the engineering mindshare is going there because of just the dynamic of how, um, I guess the nature of SaaS today, right? Like we said, everything's working interconnected products. The front end may or may not be the principal use case anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm definitely seeing a lot more of that from a security standpoint. I mean, I, you know, we're definitely seeing it across the rest of uh, the software industry. I think it's, you know, partly because you want to be able to abstract away kind of certain portions of the application. You know, AWS is a really good example right there. I mean, most of what they're doing throughout that entire product is, you know, it's all API driven. Yeah. Right. And you do have an interface, but for the most part, I mean, one of the things we did at my last place was we tried to abstract it all away so that we could uh, get our engineers used to working through our, you know, working in our way of doing things, using our tool sets, using our deployment mechanisms. So they didn't, they didn't have to know the you know interface of uh, Amazon. They didn't have to get familiar with it. They leveraged our tools and we interfaced through you know the AWS API, uh, which had you know basically the you know enough permissions to actually do everything. And that's that's kind of you know one of the core principles I do from a security standpoint is that's how I want to integrate all, all of my tool sets. I don't want my teams to have to learn yet another interface. I want it to provide the value that whatever that you know tool is for. And so it really depends on what you're doing. I think that's what, you know, the big uh, thing about Stripe, right? We're just providing you this API so you can integrate into your platform because we're just providing you this particular service. Yeah. We're in uh, all the single sign-on companies have done that. Now Stripe's done that with payments processing. And now there's, there's going to be more coming, right? There's going to be yeah. so many more. Who knows what people are going to create going forward with API, API culture. You know, I want to kind of get your idea around the security aspect of it because when I think about API calls for a product, right? Constantly products are calling information in, constantly other products and services, authenticated tools are going to write information to my product's database potentially, and others are going to ask for data out. So like part of security is making sure that it's only authorized individuals that get this information. When you see so many requests, right? And API sees so many requests, like, you know, I've seen like API limits of like tens of that, whatever, thousands per second of calls. Right. How do you know things are happening? Like how, what goes into like securing that? Because in one hand, it's got to be open because it's got to enable this many calls to be made. On another hand, it's got to be secure and it can't let the bad actors in. I'm giving, give us an idea of what you guys have to think about. Yeah. I mean, so, you, you know, you have to think about kind of, you know, how you're doing the authorization, right? Who you're issuing keys to, what type of API is it? Is it, you know, something that's open that 
the general person can go request an API to, or is it very customer focused where I have a customer, we're going to give them an API. That at least gives you some way to kind of narrow the focus on, okay, let me track behavior and usage based on kind of that API key. Um, it's still challenging though, because it's a single endpoint that you're you know, monitoring or a single set of endpoints and you know keys can get lost, keys can get stolen. Uh, you know, you want to make sure that you maintain those keys, which is also, you know, another challenge, right? How do you distribute them? How do you maintain them? How do you rotate them? There's quite a bit that goes into it. But generally from an API, you know, from a security standpoint, it's it's an application just like anything else, right? So it's a matter of understanding, you know, what are the data flows within that application? You know, what are the the risky kind of, you know, uh, calls that you can actually make to, you know, that, that would actually have an impact to the organization and really you know, monitoring basically your crown jewels. What, what's that really dangerous endpoint that could, you know, delete all data within a, a database or, or delete certain records, monitoring those for usage, monitoring those for, you know, for anomalies. Um, so it's, you know, collecting mountains of, of data, collecting lots of, uh, you know, behavior data, and then really just analyzing it like any other application. You know, there's a different set of risks that are involved, definitely from an API standpoint. But, you know, for the most part, I mean, it is an application just like anything else. Gotcha. And from your perspective, this is an interesting thing because a lot of the people we've had on our show talk about how, you know, there's only a handful. This is actually significantly more workloads still not in the cloud, despite the fact that we think we're all ultra modern, like everything's the cloud. I had an Amazon sales rep once tell me that he thinks Amazon told at their SKO that less than 20% of workloads are in the cloud. Yeah. 80% more to go. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. We were, I mean, we started our cloud cloud transformation when uh, at my last place in 2014. Yeah. And when I left there in 2020, it still was not completed. Right. We still yeah. had, you know, a data center with, you know, probably a thousand servers running in it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to transition away, especially when you have a lot of legacy and, you know, just kind of you know, uh, old applications that are sitting around. These things don't, aren't cloud friendly to begin with. Yeah. And they were also talking about how a lot of steps, I guess the first step for a lot of these companies is that they have to develop APIs so that the information contained in these legacy systems can, let's say, I mean, let's just say something real simple. Like you wanted to use another cloud's uh, machine learning system to tag information, something as simple as that. Well, how do you get it out? <laughs> so, so they're talking about that. Is Postman involved? Have you, do you guys have experience working with these legacy companies with these legacy applications that are trying to get to cloud? Is that part of your role or do you principally work with mostly like software companies? I know we work with you know pretty much everyone across the board. So whether it's financial services or, you know, uh, I'm sure there's brick and mortars, there's, you know, a number of different customers. I would imagine that a, a large portion of them are still, you know, data center focused with, you know, with on-prem type uh, instances. I don't really have too much information on that specific portion of it though. Mm-hmm. From our standpoint, I mean, we're a cloud native company, we're cloud first. So everything we do is, you know, in the cloud. So we have the same type of concerns as, you know, how do we actually you know, understand what's what's in the cloud? How do we actually transfer data between these different clouds? Because, you know, we, we may leverage Salesforce and AWS and various other platforms. And we want to have that tight integration between those, between, you know, each of those endpoints. Do you see specific industries having a harder time with API security than others? I mean, I think everybody has generally had a problem with it. So I don't know that anybody's you know, necessarily better. I think you know, unfortunately, from a security standpoint, everybody's still struggling with security, right? You know, there might be a few, you know, shining examples here and there. Like you hear about, you know, Netflix has a really, really good program and some of the more modern shops are really doing things a little bit differently. But, you know, security is not something that's easily solved. And, you know, the way we've been doing it for all these years really hasn't worked because we're still seeing tons of issues and tons of breaches and, you know, it's it's not letting up. So how do you plan on kind of addressing that? Because like, to your point, the way security has always been thought of 
you know, the bad actors are, you know, I mean, they are who they are. They, they, they try to stay one step ahead of what you guys are up to. What do you think needs to happen? We've heard a lot from people talk in the subject from culturally, things have to change, from financial incentive has to change. Uh, the technical, they said it was harder to change. This is like, it could be, some of our guests have said that uh, if the culture changes and the financial incentives change, then the technology and the, the products and services people will come up with will change too, which does that equal better security? I'd love to hear your perspective on how do you keep up? What's the best environment? I mean, it's hard to keep up. <laughs> I think the tech, the tech side of it is actually somewhat easier. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really, you know, it's, it's all about the kind of changing behavior. So changing culture, changing behavior, really getting people to think about kind of, you know, including security early on within the cycle. And also, you know, it is a financial thing, right? So understanding kind of, you know, what is the impact? Uh, it's not just financial, but what is the impact from a risk standpoint? So really kind of diving into those two areas, if you can, you know, kind of, you know, break it down to, you know, how does it affect the, the financials or the, you know, the, the risk and the reputation? And then how do you actually change behavior? Those are the two areas that, you know, you really kind of focus on because the tech, tech is always going to change, right? Two years from now, there's going to be, you know, the, the next latest and greatest within tech, right? Whether it's, you know, still developing on, on Node.js or some new, you know, some new kind of front-end technology, whatever it happens to be, we're always going to see continuous change. It's something I tell my teams all the time too, is the only constant we have is change. So let's just continue to, you know, let's plan for that, right? We know tech will change, but if we put in good patterns and good practices and really kind of, you know, enable the teams to make better decisions, um, we're going to have much more success, but it's, it's definitely a tough problem. So one of the other things we do too is, you know, how do we actually, you know, find signal, you know, through all the noise, right? So it's about identifying what's valuable to the organization. What are the most critical assets, the most critical uh, components of those assets, and then focusing your attention on those. Let's identify the risks and the threats that are applicable and actually, you know, tackle those because then at least we know if something catastrophic were to hit, at least we've protected the things that are most valuable. So one of the things that we talk about with a lot of our guests is the fact that the speed of business is the currency. Like most, there's very, you know, that's one of the big problems about inherent problems about being secure is that the business doesn't really want to give you time to, to do that. Even if money wasn't, we've had guests say like, even money wasn't the issue, time is because no one wants to wait and no one wants to hear, hey, Josh, we want to ship this new feature of Postman. It's like, well, I need six months to figure out if it's secure. Like, no, no nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we can't slow down the business from, from a security standpoint. We really got to start yeah. thinking about it from a different lens, right? It's not about slowing the business and putting in these gates that actually make it more difficult because the business has to continue to you know operate and continue to do what it does. If security is getting in the way, then we're doing it wrong. Yeah. So- How do you go about, like, tell me about like a dream, if, if it has to be a dream scenario, go ahead and tell me like your dream scenario. What do you think is essential to building the culture, the team process to make a very security centric organization that can plug most of the holes, but is mindful of time because time is the constraint. I feel like no CEO is going to listen to their head of idea and be like, oh, you need more time. Oh, cool. <laughs> right? Like they're like, they'll always want to know, well, how much more time, right? Time is the constraint that, so how do you build around that given, given that? I mean, it's so there's a number of different ways, right? One of them is you know more decentralization of kind of the security uh, operational components, right? Mm. A lot of times we're not in the best position to make certain types of decisions. So, you know, it could be the engineering teams who are actually at the front line writing, writing the code, or it could be, uh, you know, that the finance team was actually approving these types of, you know, uh, transactions, right? So it's about getting them the necessary information, uh, making sure that they understand how to respond in certain types of scenarios and enabling them to do their job in a secure manner. Right. How do we put guardrails around kind of their, their typical day-to-day workflows, right? If you're an engineer developing code, how do we, you know, 
make it fail fast so that if you actually do make, you know, a, a, you put in a, a poor security configuration that it'll tell you immediately, oh, this is, you know, this is a security issue. You probably don't want to do this, right? No different than as you're writing code, if there's a syntax error, it, it won't even work, right? So how do we get security involved at that point? Fail them fast so that they can actually fix it and have it be, you know, secure by design, essentially. Also, how do we actually put in, you know, secure defaults? Make, make sure that the system is built securely from the start so that whatever they put in, um, it's, you know, you're not going to actually expose things too much. Um, another kind of ideal scenario is how do you compartmentalize things more, you know, segment things more, right? So that, you know, that uh, the blast radius is reduced. If there is an issue with this particular, you know, segment, this business unit, this, this, uh, this application, this component, that it can only do so much damage because you've, you know, limited essentially the blast radius. I think that's, that's really going to be kind of, you know, how it's, it's going to be solved because, there's just too many moving pieces. There's too much change going on. And if we're trying to do 100% security, which is not possible, obviously, but if we're trying to secure every single component and every single function, everything across the entire environment, you know, we're going to need you know, way, way too much staff and way too much time, which we don't have. Yeah. When we hear that all the time on the show about how, you know, the, your, your first point that you made about the decentralized control, right? The, the idea that one group or one person at the top is going to make the approve, disapprove on each call. It's just a fallacy. It is actually counterintuitive to time. But we know of legacy companies that are, you know, maybe they're moving a little slower. They tend to, there's usually a control on them. That's, that seems to be the common thing. Like someone somewhere wants the control to be like, no, or or wants it delegated so that, you know, if I'm the CEO and I, I delegate to my CEO, I'm like, hey, everything is your, if something happens on your watch, I'm talking to you. I need you to approve everything. You know, the decentralized world versus the centralized control point. Why has that had such a hard time, do you think, to like evolve into this decentralized world? Because there are certainly companies that are still thinking that way. Like, hey, one person's got to be in charge. Oh, yeah. Why do you think it's so hard to evolve for these leaders? I mean, I think so one person can be in charge from, you know, so I view my role as I'm here to help the organization make better decisions around security. Right? Yeah. So, you know, enable them to provide them, to allow them to make informed decisions. So, but that doesn't mean that I own every single aspect of it. I want to make sure that the teams are empowered so that they can move quickly too. But I've been part of those organizations that are definitely, you know, everything's in one team and, you know, the CISO or the, you know, the security leader and myself at, at one point have been the one more or less accountable for all the risks, which is also another fallacy, right? I mean, they're not our risks. These are, you know, business risks. The other side of how it needs to be approached, right? We need to make sure that we're presenting these things, getting the business stakeholders involved making sure that they know that they own the risk. You know, it's the, Hey, this is your risk, not my risk. Right? <laughs> I'm here to help you make a better decision. But at the end of the day, if something goes wrong, you know, who's going to be, you know, basically who's going to be responding to this? Who's going to have to, you know, be in front of kind of, you know, the news media talking about why this happened. You know, maybe in some organizations it is, you know, the CISO, but you know, should it be, they're not the owner of the business because, you know, if you put it in my hands, you know, just thinking about it from strictly a security standpoint, yeah, I would just stop those types of activities, but that obviously wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't work because you're not, you're going to cripple the business, which is not what I'm not trying to do. No, I love that. I love that. And for yourself, have you always been interested in security throughout your technical career or is this something that kind of you evolved into? Give us an idea of how you became interested in this, this subject matter. I think I got into security in like the late nineties. Um, I started doing tech, you know, pretty much like 94, 95 timeframe. And, you know, I started a desktop and I, I really liked tech, but I couldn't figure out what part of it I liked, right? I did systems engineering, I did networks, I did, you know, I way back in the day, Novell networks, Microsoft, all that kind of stuff. And then I found that uh, security 
really gave me the opportunity to touch to touch everything. Right, I got involved with firewalls and with all kinds of new things that I you know didn't have any experience on, and I love to learn. So that's how I started. Right, I think it was I administered my first firewall in like 1998, and you know from there, really security was kind of an offshoot of network security. So that's, I was in the network team doing routers and all that, and I basically became you know kind of the network security guy. And then from there, I just loved that there was, there was so much insecurity that I could learn and so many new approaches to things. And, you know, I am an engineer architect by nature, so I love to see how things are built. But, you know, I also figured out how to break them down by being in security. And it was kind of the best of both worlds. I could learn how to build something and learn how to break it. That's why I taught myself how to code, too, because then, you know, I learned how to code and then I learned how to actually, you know, break the code. And I learned how to use the code to actually, you know, do interesting things on top of that as well. Yeah. When did you trans? When did you transform? Because a lot of times network security. Well, it's just in my experience, right? People that are familiar very much with network security, they don't necessarily know how to develop applications. And here you are on the application security side. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I, I spent a lot of time in pretty much every area of security. So I did, you know, governance work. I, you know, I, I did SOX auditing for a while. You know, took part in pretty much every aspect of security. And I think it was 2015 when I was already actually in the leadership role that I really had an interest in getting more into the AppSec side. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons I really liked the AppSec side of it was because, you know, we were a product, uh, we were, you know, we were a tech company delivering a product. So our engineers were actually delivering, you know, the, the product for the company. So it's like a perfect opportunity to really, you know, influence our revenue lines. It was also a lot of interesting innovation that was actually coming out of that space because a lot of this stuff from managing kind of, you know, or securing the typical business units and more of the legacy stuff, it went really forward thinking. It was just, you know, get it done and move on, right? But from an engineering standpoint, it's like, okay, we can't interrupt the workflows. We got to enable them to move faster, but also have security. And it was just a, a, you know, a really fun challenge. And we did a lot of interesting things around that too, on actually, you know, allowing the teams to move faster without, without security being a roadblock. So one of the things that we see from, and we understand based on what you just said, plus Postman's brand promise. So we saw uh, some information on Postman that there's like 15 million developers currently developing on the Postman platform. And you just mentioned before how you enjoy tinkering, how you like building. Of course, that pulled you into the application security side of things. So talk to us about like how fast do you feel like your knowledge base is growing now that you're a Postman? Because like, you're pro like the amount of requests and features and things needed that you are getting hit with today. I mean, it's got a I don't know how many more greater it used to be the CISO at realtor.com. Like it's okay to say that you're on LinkedIn saying that like the, the requests that you get now have to be like, it has, it has to dwarf whatever you got at realtor. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's a different game. I and mean, realtor had a lot of traffic and we actually had a lot of right. visitors on a monthly basis. Right. Um, here, the numbers are just staggering. Yeah. It's, it, it is at a different level. You know, I'm also adding in a different role because I'm actually vendor, you know, I'm now a vendor, right. Whereas at realtor, now, everybody's a vendor to some extent, but we were really more consumer driven, right? We were delivering a consumer product, whereas here, there's a whole different set of, you know, uh, challenges and opportunities and, you know, things that we got to be focusing on, right? Yeah, literally, Realtor could be one of your 15 million customers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. I can think they are. Or I, know that they're, I know that they're using it. That's that much I know. So I'm just thinking to myself, you're a CISO at Realtor. I mean, that's a, you know, that's an awesome role. Now you're at Postman. They're like, give us like your first impressions on that first day. Because like I said, the amount of people you now answer to just went through, like I went, I mean, it's been, it's bonkers. How many people you answered to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the, the first, it's funny. Cause I, I had actually used Postman back in like 2014, 2015. You know? Right. You know, basically the, the Chrome extension. Cause I was always a tinkerer and hacker and all that. So I was doing that kind of stuff. 
And then, you know, when I actually got approached about the opportunity at Postman, I didn't realize, you know, how much Postman actually did and the, the kind of the, the how big the platform was. Um, I still thought of it as kind of the API client that I was using way back in the day. So, you know, I had the discussion with, uh, you know, the co-founders and, you know, talked about the role. And then, you know, once I accepted when I joined, I'm like, all right, this is, you know, that, that's cool. They got this enterprise product. I, you know, knew enough from the website and the conversations. But then when I actually saw how much there was to it and how big it was, I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is. <laughs> Way larger than I would have expected. <laughs> a lot more complex, but you know, one of the things I really like though too is there's a lot of really, really, really smart people within Postman, um, and I was really impressed with kind of just the designs that we have, the architectures, the way it's all laid out. Um, you know, nothing's perfect. And there's always you know room for improvement and all that. But I was you know for a company of this size and and, and you know five years old, I was amazed by how much content we had, how many visitors we had, how much you know rapid growth we had. It was just it was. It was great. So it was definitely not what I was used to. Also, you know, one of the things I, I loved about it is, you know, when I was at my in my previous role, you know, we were a consumer driven company where security really wasn't as top of mind as, you know, it would be in a vendor lens, you know, in this type of environment. And, you know, when I come here, it's completely opposite, right? Security is, you know, extremely important at, at all levels. And it was already well ingrained into the, in kind of, you know, the system. So it's now, you know, how do we actually take it to the next level? How do we, you know, design security for scale? I mean, that's kind of the the exciting part is coming into something that, you know, was already a, a, in a phenomenal program that somebody had, you know, uh, established before, but now taking it to that next level. And that's that's the part that really excited me about, you know, having a great team that, you know, already put in a lot of work, having a, you know, a great culture. It was just, it was exciting. Yeah. Give us an idea of like type of skill level you're looking for, like to to work at Postman, right? So if you, you're, you got the security division, right? Give us an idea of what you're looking like. Who's the next wave of person that it's going to take Postman to the next level? What kind of skills do they need to possess? Because you're in a place where we already said the requirements and demands on the Postman business, right? You you are a developing API platform for developers. So they're going to push the envelope as to what is possible and what can be done, whether it's through compute, physical store, like it doesn't matter. Like they, 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 they're going to push you to the limit, right? Right. So what does that mean for security? And what does that mean? Like, what do you think the next, like, what are you looking for in talent? Like to help you and your team meet your goals? You know, what does that person look like? What kind of skills do they need? Yeah, it's probably multiple skills. We're looking for quite a few different types of individuals. So some that are very well versed in kind of modern compute stacks and modern, you know, cloud focused companies, cloud native companies. Um, we're looking really to, you know, automate a lot of kind of the traditional you know, security functions, so security operations and monitoring detection response. How do we actually put a developer, you know, how do we actually build tool sets and practices that actually enable our teams to move faster, right? So, you know, writing our own monitoring and detection, detection engineering, things like that, right? So we're looking for those types of skill sets are really well-versed in, you know, building and creating workflows and automation. Um, we're also looking at, you know, as we, you know, we want to make sure that we instill trust from a customer standpoint. So, you know, that includes, you know, getting compliant with, you know, various types of doing our SOC 2, you know, ISO compliance, various other uh, initiatives like that. So understanding kind of the requirements and, you know, the governance governance aspects of it. So we're looking for folks who really understand kind of the, you know, the nature of that. And, you know, with that being said, I mean, as you're doing compliance, we want to make sure that we're doing it, you know, intelligently and not actually adding extra burden that's unnecessary. So how do we do some automation with that space as well? So you know, a lot of automation, a lot of opportunity for, you know, really solving the problem from a different perspective in a different way. I think I alluded to it earlier. I mean, from a security standpoint, the way we've been doing it for the past 20, 25 years, I mean, it, 
it hasn't really worked that well, right? So it's, you know, we really need to kind of approach the problem differently. We need to look at it from a different lens and say, okay, you know what, um, you know, how can we leverage technology? You know, it's a tool, right? But it's, you know, let's use it to make our lives easier, to make the security lives easier. How do we automate certain tasks that are, that are difficult to do? There's going to be a lot of that coming. No, no question about it. I mean, I mean, it's always scary. I feel like in security is because it's like you've just begun because you're always, it's because it, it's, you're reacting, you're reacting to someone else, right? Totally. It's like, you know, everything that you've done in the past theoretically could be a non-problem in the future because right, bad actors are always going to try to find new ways to get information. Yep. Uh, we've seen like identity, you know. And they're going to go after old ways as well. Yeah, they'll keep testing the old way. Thing that you thought were solved <laughs> will then become an issue later on, right? Yeah, yeah, no. Nah challenging, challenging space to be in. But it's fun. You know, I, I love this space. I love security. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's my passion. If it wasn't my job, it'd be my hobby. Um, I, I love this stuff. So. Well, Josh, it is now time to do the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by the Salesforce platform, the number one platform for digital transformation of every experience. Josh, this is where we ask you questions outside of the world of work. I know you just said you would do security if you, <laughs> even if you didn't have this job, but we're going to want to know a little bit more about you outside the world of security. You ready? All right, ready. All right. So we checked you out on Twitter. You have an interesting avatar. What is the story behind your avatar? Uh, for those who don't know Josh's avatar currently, it's you've got some kind of filter on your face with a big old beard. Oh, <laughs> actually, it was just a, a Snapchat filter I was doing with my son. Uh, I, I like the way that the beard came out. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to use that. <laughs> Simple enough. It says on your Twitter profile, you're a proud dad. Sounds like you have a son. What's the most fun thing you get to do as a dad? Uh, we go to Magic Mountain all the time. So we have season passes there and uh, he loves it. He's, he's about to turn eight. Um, it's so much fun. I, I get to ride rides. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to ask, have you put him on the X roller coaster? He wants to ride everything. <laughs> uh, so he and he's he's uh, 52 inches now, so we can pretty much go on all. He's got me to ride rides that I wouldn't ride normally. So. <laughs> so I don't know exactly how old you are, but I will tell you my experiences from being a dad is I found out the hard way that I'm much more susceptible to motion sickness as an older person now than I was when I was a kid. You're nodding your head. Has this happened to you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I can't spin. Uh, I get car sick now, which uh, I didn't get that when I was younger. And he wants to go on the rides that spin a lot. Uh, so there's one that actually is, you know, this pendulum ride that, you know, I think it's called Crazanity. Uh, he loves it. And I go on it with him. And afterwards, I always feel a little bit, you know, off. And he's like, let's go on it again. I'm like, oh, okay, give me an hour and we'll do it again. <laughs> I know exactly how that feeling, man. It's just weird. You go, you go from being a young guy that can handle anything to like, oh man, I can't move like that. Yeah. The first time I got car sick as a passenger, I'm like, what the hell? This, this is terrible. <laughs> now you said, you know, you enjoy spending time with your kid. We saw the guitar in the background. It sounds like you used to play music. Is that accurate? I mean, you used to tinker with music, just like, you know, I tinker with a lot of things. So I, I've got guitars. I've got a keyboard in the other room. Um, sometimes I play them, but you know, nothing, uh, Nothing good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you don't have to be good at something to enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Well, Josh, it was awesome having you today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for sharing a little about your hobbies and your life outside of work. I agree with you. Your job is just beginning the wave of the future. Who knows what it looks like? I'm glad we have people like you in charge of it. Postman, for those of you guys who don't know, again, it is the tool and platform for companies to actually build APIs or help build APIs. Uh, 15 million strong and probably some more feature requests in your queue right now. Right now, Josh, people. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for having me on. Enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us on IT Visionaries. Yeah.